so great. Yes, you are, God. And great are you, Lord. Lord, in your greatness today, we can see our greatness and our potential. God, without your greatness, we would never be great. But God, because of your greatness, we can do great things. And today, Lord, as we learn about your supernatural power, may none of us think it's about us inherently having this power, having these abilities. Let us remember it's a gift. And that because you're such a great gift giver, these gifts are so great. So as we sing it again, would you prepare your hearts for a great God to do great things through you today? Great God. When we pray for the sick, we're not looking for our greatness to heal. We're looking for God's greatness. Great are you, Lord. When we cast out evil spirits, we're not looking for our great strength to make the devil leave. We're looking to God's greatness. Sing it out today. When we're telling the future or prophesying, we're doing it because of God's greatness. And great. You're so great, God. You can use people like us to change the world. Yes. Great. Great. God, great are you, God, great are you. Now, if you're ready to do great things for God, can I hear an amen? Amen. Bless the Lord one more time as you are seated. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Today, we're going to be talking about naturally supernatural. Somebody say that with me, naturally supernatural. Today, we're going to tap into the supernatural realm and to understand it and to participate in it. But no matter what we learn today, let us remember that the greatness, the power resides in God, not in us. Now, let me just take a little bit of a journey, a little bit of a rabbit trail before we get into the scripture. If you want to hold your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can. But as we leave up the notes in this part right here, I want you to think about how most people view the world, even Christians. Even Christians view the world a big place of material stuff. So we call that materialism. You wake up, you got out of your material bed, you used your material feet to go to the bathroom, you looked at a material mirror, you screamed, ah, and you turned away, and then you went to the material makeup counter and got your stuff, material toothbrush guys got your stuff, or whatever, material shower, material car, all we think that the world is mostly, even as Christians, is material stuff. Here it is, live in the material world, that's what life's like. And then we think about the spiritual as itty-bitty spirit. We are an itty-bitty spirit in this big material body. And we have to listen to our itty-bitty spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is just an itty-bitty spirit. 
spirit. He's not as big as the sun. He's not as big as the earth. And so really, we live in a material, huge world with a little bit of spirituality. That's how we view life. Can I tell you, it is the exact opposite. Instead of us thinking that the spirit is like a grain of sand and the world is materialism, listen to me, materialism is like a grain of sand and the spirit covers it like the earth would cover a grain of sand. Everything you see in the known universe is but a grain of sand to the spirit of God. Everything. And so when you and I are talking about the supernatural power of God for $9.99, you can have miracle power too. Do you want miracle power, miracle power, miracle power? Can I get a $9.99? And then we hype it up and it becomes something ungodly and unbiblical and weird. We somehow think to ourselves that we're, we're now tapping into something that, that is almost illogical. And it's silly in a sense. And that is silly. But if you go from the Bible, you understand that God and his immense spirit beyond comprehension spoke a word and the entire universe came to be like that. From this point on, from, from literally Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, everything is possible with God. Everything. Now, when I always say everything, I don't mean everything that is illogical. Jesus is bound by his own nature, and his nature is truth. Therefore, he cannot lie nor do things that are illogical. He cannot create a married bachelor. Do you understand that? There are things God cannot do because God will not contradict his nature. He will not make a rock so big that he cannot lift. That is a contradiction to his nature. He will not lie. So everything is possible, as we would say, within logic and reason because God is logical. Now, some of you think, well, supernatural and logical, they don't go together. Yes, they do. Let me give you a logical syllogism right now. If God created the entire universe, anything is possible with God in that universe. Premise one. Premise two. God did create the universe. Premise two. Conclusion. Therefore, all things are possible with God in the universe. Disprove that. Only thing that would be debatable is premise two. Did God create the universe? And that would be a whole nother set of sermon series that we would get into. But how many of you would just settle that right now? I believe God created the universe. You believe in the Big Bang. God said it. Bang, it happened. Okay. You believe that. Therefore, the God who created everything can continue to move within his creation. Let me give you that same syllogism, but now towards video games. If you are the creator of Call of Duty, you can create whatever you want in Call of Duty. Premise two, you are the creator of Call of Duty. Conclusion, therefore, you can create in Call of Duty whatever you want. Does everybody get that? Now, in Call of Duty, can you create a married bachelor? 
You're bound by logic even as the creator of call of duty. You're still bound by that. But can you, if someone gets their arm blown off in call of duty, have a little health pack in the corner that lets that arm just grow back? Can you do that? Is there anything illogical about you as the creator of the video game allowing somebody to grow back their arm in the video game? Nothing illogical. As a matter of fact, it's perfectly logical. And so when we're talking about being naturally supernatural, what we're understanding is that God created the heavens and the earth. And because he created the heavens and the earth, we now can interact with him because we're in, particularly right now, the earth, and we can have whatever he says we can have. And if he says we can have power to split the Red Sea, okay, God, I'm holding up a staff. I'm Moses. Let's go. You said I can walk on water. I'm Peter. Here I'm coming. C-O-M-E. Didn't walk on H-2-O. He walked on the word. Are you listening? There is nothing that we have to do in this that turns off our brain or makes us the equivalent of going to a psychic or paying $9.99 for holy water, or something silly. What you are simply saying as a Christian is, everything that's already here has come from my God of spirit. Now that I'm here in a material world and also a spirit, my spirit and his spirit can interact and change a material world. Raising the dead, it's possible. Growing out limbs, it's possible. Changing nature, it's possible. Casting out other spirits that don't belong there, it's possible. Knowing things about the future, it's possible. Knowing things about your past, it's possible. Knowing things that you need to hear to get it through, to get through the day, it's possible and it's actually natural meaning it's built into nature for us to do supernatural things no matter where they go with telescopes or microscopes they always run into the big question marks how why? Why is that here? And then someone discovers another thing. Well, they say, well, now we got this thing down. And then we go to the next thing. And so there's this endless sense of knowledge that we're always trying to go towards. And in the same way in the spiritual, I don't understand everything in the spiritual realm. I don't understand everything in the natural realm. Like, what are you sitting on right now? Somebody goes, well, I'm sitting on a chair. What is a chair made of? People back in the day would say a chair is made of material metals and things like that. Then a little bit later on, they said, no, no, no. In metals, there's now atoms, right? There's, there's these things that come together. And then someone said, well, it's, what's a little bit more complicated than that? Now, it's not only, you know, you know these, 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 uh, these things like uh, metals and materials, it goes into the atoms, and not only the atoms, now it goes into the neurons, uh, not the neurons, but the electrons, rather, and then it goes into subatomic particles, and then now people are going, well, what's a subatomic particle? And so now we're like, well, I don't even know what I'm sitting on. I don't know what holds this thing all together, but I'm sitting on it. You see, we, we don't have to figure it all out to operate in it. 
Well, why does the miracle happen? Because we prayed in Jesus' name. Why does praying in Jesus' name work? Because Jesus raised from the dead. Why did Jesus raise from the dead? To fulfill the law. Why do some people not get raised from the dead? Well, because God has a will for some people to die at this time and other times. Why doesn't he let everybody raise from the dead? I don't know. But I know way over here it's good for me to still pray for the dead to be raised. I know it's still good for me to pray for the sick to be healed. I don't know what you're sitting on right now if I keep going deep enough, but I know you're sitting on something. I don't understand everything about miracles, but I know they happen. Let's pretend you're just in an environment where you push a button and one electrocutes you, and another button you push one out of every hundred times comes out some food. You're going to stop pushing the one that electrocutes you, and you're just going to be pushing on this one. Are you listening to me? How many of you are done pushing on sin, and you're just pushing on prayer now? And if it doesn't work the way you plan it every time, at least you see some answers come out of that thing. And that's why the Bible says, pray and keep praying. Seek and keep seeking. Thing. I, I will give that to you right now. I can't understand it all. But I do understand when I keep praying, things happen that never would have happened unless I prayed. Never would have a literal miracle happened when I was pushing that prayer button. Push, pray until something happens. And then at the end of the day, what do you lose? What do you lose believing in the supernatural? Now, some people may say, well, it can get dangerous because we don't go to doctors. The author of one of the Gospels, Luke, was a doctor. Who told you Christians can't go to doctors? The Bible is full of things like the balm of Gilead, uh, you know, natural health remedies. The Bible is full of good hygiene and healthy living in the Bible. So we can do both. I can go to the doctor, seek out man's wisdom for all of the things that God is teaching men and women, and I can pray for miracles. What have I done to harm myself praying for a miracle while I'm seek seeking in the natural world remedies as well? And the Bible even teaches us that it's good to see the both and. And does everyone get healed? No. Does everyone always have their miracle? No. But can you become accustomed to miracles where it's natural to see God coming into your situations, coming into your families, doing things that only God can do? Can that become natural to you? Yes, it can. And it's not strange. We ought to think it normal. And let me just say this last part of my introduction. When any time new people come to our church, and they come from either a Roman Catholic background or a more, um, you know, conservative Christian background like Baptist or Presbyterian or something like that. They notice like all of the, the, the speaking in tongues and all of these things. And they think that's weird. And I understand because they're not used to it. But listen to me. What's weird is not having those things. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example because we get it the most from the Roman Catholics, and that's okay because we pick on them too. We love them. We love Roman Catholics, hate Roman Catholicism. How many can agree with that? We love Muslims, hate Islam. How many love your children but hate wrong answers and hate attitudes? Right? How many of you love your children but you hate Fs? Come on, somebody. So we love Roman Catholics, but we don't like what all Roman Catholics do. Notice this. You walk into a Roman Catholic church, you see all kinds of stuff that's not in the Bible. A little laver of water that you're going to sprinkle children with, not in the Bible. You're going to start seeing bells and smells, candles and all that, not in the Bible. You're going to start seeing statues and all that, not in the Bible. You're going to start seeing a guy dress up like mother in a robe but call himself father, not in the Bible. You're going to start seeing confessional booths to the side, not in the Bible. Are we getting a trend here? You're going to see Father Tom hold up communion and do something over an altar made of gold, not in the Bible. And then he's going to feed it to you like you're a little bird, num, 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 and he's going to put it in your mouth, not in the Bible. 
What do you have in the the Bible? The disciples spoke in other tongues. The disciples laid hands on the sick and they recovered. The disciples prophesied. The The Bible says that they did signs and wonders and miracles. That's what you see in the Bible. Read Acts chapter 2. Peter spoke in tongues. Mary spoke in tongues. It says all 120 of them spoke in tongues. So I know you come here, and it's, it's not what you thought it would be, but go back to the Bible, and it should be exactly what it was. This is what it should be. So this idea that, oh, man, that's the cult over there. No, you're the cult. I was talking to a Roman Catholic the other day, and I said, you prideful thing, you. You change the whole Bible, take it over, uh, Christianity in a sense, and then you tell the rest of us that we're the cult. Well, how convenient for you. But thank God we got the Bible out of your wretched hands and now we can read it for ourselves and find out who changed it. Never prayed to the mother. Never prayed to the disciples. Prayed to the Father in Jesus' name and spoke in tongues and heavenly language. Never had candles lit up. Never had confessional booths. But they prayed and saw miracles. So my friends, it's just a biblical issue to me. Are we living out Christianity? And I like to be encouraged by the past. There was a rock and roll guy of the 60s and 70s. His name was John Wimber. And he got radically saved. And he started going to some of these frozen chosen churches where all they did was talk about way back when when God would do cool stuff. He doesn't do cool stuff anymore. He used to. Uh, He used to cast out demons, but they all went away after Jesus left the earth, right? You don't see any more demons now. And so he went to one of these frozen chosen churches, and he was just a radical Christian, not meaning to hurt anybody's feelings, but he just said, when do we do the stuff? When do we do what we read about in the Bible? He said, you know, I've given up so many things to be in this culture. I've given up the drug culture, the sex culture, all these things that we did as a part of that mindset, and now I believe in Christianity When do we get to do what Christians do? And out of that heart's desire, John Wimber left that church, went to Bible college, and eventually started a movement called the Vineyard, which my parents were a part of, which emphasized the the believer, the individual, having the experiences of Jesus. And because of people like him all across the world, I mean, we can talk about the Latin American revivals of Colombia and Argentina and Mexico and and all of these nations that were predominantly Roman Catholic now on fire for the Lord, Brazil, and all the other nations that are being, being, being caught up in the wind of the Spirit. It's our turn in this generation to do what they did. Amen. Become naturally supernatural. We're not weird. We're just wired into heaven. Are you getting the the distinction here? I'm not weird because I speak in tongues. I'm just wired into heaven. I'm not weird because I pray for you when you're sick. I just don't want to say God bless you. Okay. I want to pray for you. That's not weird. I'm just connected to heaven. It's not weird if I get an impression about you and something in your past. God knows your past, and he might want to let me know so I can encourage you to get over your past. And guess what? My God, he, he knows what tomorrow holds as well. Amen? So you don't have to go to Madam Chloe. You don't have to know your star sign or any of that nonsense. Talk to the one who made the stars. Are you ready? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Somebody say amen. 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 So 
it's natural to be supernatural. And once again, I just love to pick on my Roman Catholic friends. All of these prayers to the saints they make up, all of those bells and smells and these traditions they make up, not one of them, everybody listen to me, not one of them is found in the Bible. Not the way the Pope dress, to the way that they light candles, to the way they have statues, to the way they pray for their lost keys, to the Saint Anthony of lost things. None of that instruction is found anywhere in the Bible. Do you understand that? Can I get an amen? But what is in the Bible are three entire chapters devoted to you operating in the gifts of the Spirit. So what do you think is important to Jesus? Making up prayers to St. Anthony that he never put in the Scripture? Learning how to pray to the mother of Guadalupe? Learning to confess your sins? All these religious things we think we need when the Bible really said what we need is the gifts of the Spirit. You wouldn't need to keep lighting those candles if you knew God was on your side giving you gifts to get through those problems. You wouldn't need to talk to his mother and friends and all of those other people if you knew God could speak directly to you. And so let us, I mean, I just want to encourage you with this without being sassy. Let us just simply read the instructions and follow. Let's just read them and follow them. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Now about... The gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. So the first thing he says when he starts off this section is, don't be ignorant. And so many people are. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So they used to be idolaters. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this is going to teach us the difference between people just being spiritual like New Agey and truly doing it by the Holy Spirit because we know in other parts of the story, there's evil spirits that have power and can do things as well. So here's the distinguishing factor. Can that spirit say Jesus is Lord? And if you're not sure of it, just ask them. Sometimes you'll be meeting people. This happens to me all the time. You'll be out maybe sharing your faith or you'll have a Christian shirt on or a coworker will see you brought a Bible and they'll want to be spiritual with you. Maybe start trying to encourage you in a certain way. But you need to stop the conversation and just ask them, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus the only way to the Father? Does everybody get that? Because they may say, well, no, Jesus is just many ways. You know, and I follow a guru in X, Y, and Z. And some of you are blank stares right now make me want to stop and tell this story. We had a woman in our church, in our church, for about six months. And then when she finally went to discipleship, we discovered this about her. She was going to a yoga class that was taught by a guru who claimed to be a manifestation of Jesus. Now, you say to yourself, oh, I would never be that dumb. I wouldn't do that. This woman was pretty smart. Because here was the deal. She said, I just like what they teach about helping each other and doing the yoga stuff. And I just, I like this. I don't think about what they're doing. And I said, let me ask you a question. If I call them up, if I call them up and they say this is exactly why they believe what they believe, the power of their yoga comes from this X, Y, and Z belief system that this person is an incarnation of Jesus, will you stop going there? And she was like, well, I'll think about it. I called up that organization, and I said, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus was, you know, on the earth. He was crucified, death, buried, and raised from the dead. Is that who you believe this person is? And they go, yeah, we believe that. That Jesus who did all of that is now in this person. 
I said, so let me ask you a question. If I come there and I say, I don't believe that, I believe that this man is an antichrist, and if he does have spiritual powers from the devil, can I participate in your exercises? They said, no, that would bring a problem to our group. So I had to literally go back to the person and go, they don't want you there if you think the way the Bible thinks about this person. They literally believe the biblical version is cursed, that Jesus is not Lord, that person is not, uh, the, the Jesus of history is not Lord, this new person is Lord. How can you be in fellowship with them? But you see how people get deceived because it feels good. Listen, feelings can deceive you. How many know on your New Year's resolution, feelings of hunger have already been get, begun to deceive you? How many know that's already happened? I should be down about 10 pounds. I'm only down about two right now. My feelings have deceived me. So make sure Jesus is Lord. That way you know the Holy Spirit is coming to do these things. Now let's just go through it. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Somebody say, in all of them and in everyone. See, it's the same God. There's no big eyes on the stage and little yous out there, like little youth, where are you at? No, the same great God of heaven and earth is in all of us. Anything you ever see me do, that is supernatural comes from the great big God. That means you can do supernatural just like I do supernatural because you have the great God of heaven and earth on the inside of you like I do. Let's tell a story here. I'm just going by what the Lord's leading me to do in this service. They have so many notes. No way I can go through them all. If you're really interested in this, please take time to look at our notes on our app or website. But let me just stop and tell a story about Carlos and Acondia in Argentina, as I was mentioning, the revivals that have come to these lands. Well, in Buenos Aires, he was a businessman. You know, Carlos, he did, I think, tool machining. You know, he made uh, with, with his tools the, the, the parts that make machines and all of these bits and pieces and all of that. But he gets radically saved in, a middle age, at, at his, in his time in middle age. And he doesn't know much about Christianity, but similar with John Wimber, he starts reading the Bible and he starts having great interest in it. And two things stuck out in his mind right at the beginning. A lot of people are sick and we should be praying for them. And then number two, a lot of people look demonized like in the Bible in his culture. He says, I need to start praying demons to go. Well, he goes to his pastor and he says, can we give this a shot? Can we go out and do a campagna? Can we do a crusade? Can we set up a tent? Can we do something that invites the community, not just here in these four walls, but out there and lets them know? We'll pray for them and we'll ask evil spirits to leave them. The pastor over time gave him permission to do that. The first, tent they, uh, the first night they had the tent set up, only a few people came, but he prayed for them. And guess what happened? God healed a few, and God set free some people. What do you think happened the next night? More people came. More people came the next night because miracles happened that night. Then that kept building up. That went on. Listen to me. What started there, and you can read about this or watch it on YouTube, that went on for almost five years and ended up filling the soccer stadiums. 
the soccer stadiums of Argentina got filled as revival swept through the land. And I, I, I met him personally, and I asked him, how did you even do this? What was going on through your head? And he said, I was just doing what God told me to do. He said, I didn't even have a formal Bible education. He said he would have his Bible on the seat of his car while he was driving. Now, this would be dangerous, but this is just what he told us, so nobody do this. He said while he was driving, he would look at the scriptures to the crusade to start preparing what he would do. And yet God used him to fill a soccer stadium. Why? Great God. Great God doing extraordinary things in ordinary people. So here we see that though there's all kinds of gifts, and notice it's a gift. It's not something you earn. You don't get it because you fast more, you pray more, you're more spiritual. Just because I know more about the Bible than some of you here, that doesn't mean I have more spiritual gifts than you. You know, just because you know more about something doesn't mean you get a better gift. Gifts are gifts. They're given based on the gift giver. How many of you know you give your smart children gifts and you're not so smart children gifts? Amen? I mean, come on. We all, have, all of our children aren't equally as smart. Let's be honest. And how many know you distribute your gifts to them equally? You distribute your love to them equally. And so it doesn't matter how strong you are, how wealthy you are, what gender you are, even what age you are. As long as you come to the same God that everybody else is coming to, ready to receive, he will do it in all of them and in everyone the same way. Now, where it will be different is the kind of gifts you get. Not everybody gets the same kind of gifts, but you have the same God giving you the same kind of power in those gifts. Meaning if we're going to look at it like uh, we're power rangers, we might be different colors, we're different functions, but how many know we're all powerful? Amen. Let's go through them. Now to each one, to each one. Somebody say, I'm an each one. Thank you. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given the, the Spirit of the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. Let's keep going, please. All of these, somebody say all of these. All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one. Somebody say, I'm in each one. Thank you, just as he determines. Here we see the nine gifts of the spirit. We'll go over them in just a second. But there is a little bit of confusion even among people who believe the way we do. There's two different major categories of people who believe the way we do. Number one, Pentecostals. We are Pentecostal. What that means is we relate to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the Holy Spirit gave them the gift to speak in tongues and the spiritual gifts began to happen. That's how we relate as Christians to the Bible. Guess where Baptists get their name from? 
when John the Baptist and others baptized. That's what they relate to, okay? Presbyterians, where do you think their name comes from? Presbyterios, presbyters, elders. They relate to a church based on elders and leaders. Methodists, where do they relate? From John Wesley having methods to develop the church. We could be here all day. And so we in this church identify with being Pentecostal because we identify with the Holy Spirit being poured out. So we are Pentecostal. We're also charismatic. And that comes from the Greek word charisma. Somebody say charisma. As I'm trying to learn Greek, learn it with me. Charisma. And charis is grace. So if you've ever heard in the Christian community somebody using the word charis or charis, pronounced more with the English accent, that's grace. In the word gift is the word grace. Charisma. Do you hear it in there? Charis at the beginning. And so that just means gifts that are given. And charismatics are those who believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We are also charismatic. Does everybody see where we fall as Christians? Now, there's two major divisions in our groups, two major divisions. The first major division is how the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues. There are a group of Pentecostals who have also changed the doctrine of the Trinity, so they generally go by the name oneness, but even there they not only err, they go to the point to say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Generally, their women don't wear makeup, they don't cut their hair, they look like they've been sucking on lemons a long time. Very judgmental, most of them. And they don't think you're saved unless you speak in tongues and get baptized in Jesus' name only. Not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but Jesus' name only. And that's another term that they go by. We are not them. They are a cult branch that came from us when they thought they discovered the Trinity was false and that you had to speak in tongues to be saved about 100 years ago. They left us. They are not of us. They may have similar types of service to us. Marcus Rogers is a YouTube or Facebook guy. You might see him. He preaches like us, but he is not like us. He is a heretic. He denies the Trinity. Josh Fergenstein and some of these other personalities, heretics. Some of these videos that you guys share of people worshiping and doing uh, their concerts, if it says something like Pentecostal or apostolic in it, generally they're heretics. I don't mean that like you're ugly. No, I don't mean like you're a heretic in a way that I'm calling you a name. It's the truth. They've changed the doctrine of the Trinity. How many think the Trinity is pretty important? Okay. And they've changed the doctrine of salvation. How many believe that's pretty important? How many know if you have the God of the Bible wrong and what salvation is wrong, you're pretty much in trouble. Okay. So what God will do with them on judgment day is between God and them, though I fear for their soul. The only sliver of grace that I leave out for them is they do truly love Jesus and they truly try to preach the Bible unlike Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Roman Catholics, etc. They're doing their best here, but they've been deceived nonetheless. So listen, we don't believe you have to get into this to be saved. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are exactly that. It is a separate gift different than the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is received by grace through faith. 
You can go to heaven riding on a donkey if you want, or you can go to heaven in an F-22 Raptor, okay? You can go through church not having power, go through life getting whooped by the devil, going really slow in the kinds of things of God, or you can get filled with the Spirit and take on the enemy, okay? You trying to fight the enemy on a donkey, you're not going to get very far. You get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to wreak some havoc to his kingdom. Are you listening? So yes, you can go to heaven broke, busted, and disgusted in the spiritual realm. Jesus will let you in and then tell you how silly you were not to believe he could use you to change the world, okay? He'll be like, you know that demon that kept waking you up and messing with you every night? You could have cast that out. Remember how many times you were sick? A couple of those times I would have healed. Remember when your kids were going crazy? I had words for them and you didn't give it to them, okay? So there'll be some stories up there, but you will get to heaven. Now, the other side comes from the charismatic side. Now, the charismatics, they're much more easygoing than us as Pentecostals. And so I find myself in both realms. Pentecostals have been known over time to be more traditional, not necessarily legalistic, but very conservative. Charismatics mostly came out of the 60s and 70s, very open to the spirit and new things. Were not, they weren't against them. So, for example, in the Pentecostal churches, they only really had organs and pianos. The charismatics brought in their guitars and their rock bands like John Wimber in the Vineyard Movement as he got saved. He said, let's just bring the band in here and start worshiping Jesus. But where the charismatics are not heretics, but they started to teach what some of you might have heard in other churches, it's not biblical, that though the gifts are for everyone and everybody might have different gifts, speaking in tongues is also not for everyone. Now, what is the problem with that? They'll say, well, you can prophesy, you can pray for the sick, but you don't need to speak in tongues. Now, that is not a heresy. That is a disagreement. Now, notice what we're going to differentiate between heresies and disagreement. How many know you and I don't agree upon everything in this Bible, but we're not going to call each other heretics? What makes you a heretic is where you change a core doctrine. How we believe in the gift of tongues is not a core doctrine. So it could be either way. The charismatics could be right or the Pentecostals could be right. And I'll tell you which one is right. So this will solve the problem, okay? Half kid. But this is the truth. The truth is we're both Christians. But as he scrolls to the notes, go to where I show the baptism of the Holy Spirit chart. It's going to be further down. What I want you to see is why this causes confusion is because when the charismatics, right there, thank you, when the charismatics teach you, you don't have to speak in tongues, they begin to misguide you in how the rest of the gifts are going to work. Let me give you an example. The Pentecostals believe, according to the book of Acts, that every time the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was at least one gift that was always there for everybody, and that was tongues. There were other gifts that we could see or signs and wonders, but there was one that was there consistently. That is why we have the initial evidence that you've entered into the supernatural world. Now, when you go to Acts chapter 2, where this all kicks off, Jesus had already told them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so how did they know they received the power? 
The Bible says they all spoke in tongues. Are you tracking with me? And that's the pattern we see through the scripture. Now, the charismatics may say some speak in tongues, some don't. And now this is where they'll confuse you, is they'll say, remember when Joe just read about the gifts of the Spirit? Do you remember how one of them is the gift of tongues? Does everybody remember when I read that? Okay. And do you remember that it also said is the gift of interpretation? And then it said not everybody has these gifts. You see, Joe is wrong to teach you that everybody has it because really it's only a certain few. And here's where they confuse you. The gift of tongues in a service for the body of Christ is different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit being given the supernatural power of God. When you receive the supernatural power of God, God wants you to have an evidence that you received it. By having that evidence, you can operate in the other nine gifts of the Spirit. So think about it like this. Let's say you're a Christian here today, and you say, I want to operate. I want to operate in the supernatural gifts of God. How will I know that I've received the ability to do so? We will pray for you to be baptized in the Spirit to speak in other tongues. From that point on, you can now start to operate in these other gifts. If I was to say to you, we won't know if you receive it until you get one of the nine gifts, we're breaking the pattern of the New Testament. The pattern was they got saved, they got sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. That's the pattern. Now, can things in the Bible go outside of the pattern? Yes, there is a time where there is no manifestation, any of these listed. But the consistent pattern is it's always tongues and it might be something else. So how do we as Pentecostals help the charismatics? We teach, and I'm teaching here today, all nine gifts of the Spirit are available for you. And here's how you'll know you've entered the realm of the Holy Holy Spirit, able to do these things, you'll speak in tongues. I'm going to get where I'm going with this. Okay, now, my last thing before we move on to some more practical things. When we talk about interpreting the tongues, people might say, well, Joe, I'm tracking with you. Okay, I'll know I've entered into the spiritual realm when I start speaking in tongues. Languages, by the way, is what tongues mean. I'll start speaking in languages I haven't learned. Okay, I got it. But why does it say I must interpret them? I have to ask for another gift to be present to interpret. That's because if your tongue, the language God has given you, is for a message, if you don't interpret it, no one's going to understand it. It will only sound as gibberish. So let's go outside of the notes to 1 Corinthians 14. Same author, same book. It's part of the three chapters on gifts of the Spirit. But let's go here quickly to chapter 14, verse 2. Let me explain it, and then we'll start doing it. Amen? You ready to speak in tongues? All right, come on. Now look at chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love. Somebody say it's always about love. Okay, so we never use our gifts to promote hate or to think we're better than anybody else, to be prideful. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So is it a command that everybody here should love and desire the gifts of the Spirit? 
Amen. So you just can't be like, well, I just love God so much. And those spiritual gifts, those are weird. And I don't want to do that. I just want to love God and people. Okay, you're only following half the command here. It says, follow the way of love. True. Amen. Applaud to everyone who wants to do that. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. So get out of your, you know, your laziness if you're not wanting to do this. Get out of your excuses. That's not for me. No, get out of like you're afraid you might get demon-possessed and, and in a spirit take you over. This is not a seance. Remember, if you're saying Jesus is Lord, no other spirit can take you over and start doing gifts in you. Okay, deception comes when you deny Jesus as Lord, and that's why you follow every one of these cults. When they started changing the doctrine of who Jesus was, yeah, they got spiritual, but it's not the kind of spirit you want. Okay, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to who? To God, indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So when I speak in a tongue, or let's make it personal, as Rachel today was worshiping and speaking in a tongue, did anybody understand her? No, but who was she speaking to? God. She was uttering a mystery. Now, if she wants you, or God rather wants you to understand what she's saying, she's to pray for an interpretation. Let's keep going. The one who prophesies speaks to people in a tongue that edifies them. But the one who prophesies edifies, or excuse me, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. That's verse 4. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So when I'm speaking in tongues, it's between me and God, edification. I'm building myself up. Prophecy, quick definition, is encouraging people with the things of God. You heard a little bit of that today. Okay, so prophecy has to be in the language people understand. Tongues is a language nobody understands, but it's between you and God. And actually, if you remember in weddings, how many have ever been to weddings and you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 read, and it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, somebody should just shout out, I speak in tongues of angels, y'all. That would just weird them all out. And by the way, that's not my tongue, and I don't do it like that. But that just would be crazy, speaking tongues of men and angels. I'm one of those. I'm one of those. See, but we read the Bible, and we don't even know what it means. Like, what did you think that meant? Like, we're just reading it for the wedding. Like, forget everything else it means. It's like the wedding's more important than God's kingdom right now. Let's, let's, just, let's just pretend this doesn't have any other meaning than what we want to give it right now. But it says tongues of men and angels right before that in chapter 13. I wish I could just read it all, but, you know, I'm trying to summarize it here. And so prophecy is in a language people understand, edifying them, building them up. But tongues is in a language nobody understands, and it builds only up the person. And so he says in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy those who pro the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, somebody may say, see, tongues is not important. No, what is he talking about here? What's most important in the church? So let's go back to Rachel here. It was awesome that Rachel was having her like spiritual moment up here, getting edified as she was speaking in tongues, but that's not the coolest thing to do in church is to watch Rachel speak in tongues and get edified. The greater thing then is for Rachel to prophesy as she does many times or for someone else here to prophesy. 
And so that is what's best in this moment, but it's always a both and. He still wants you to speak in tongues, edify yourself, but when you're around people, they shouldn't just hear you speak in tongues all the time because unless you interpret, ask God for that spiritual gift, no one knows what you're talking about. Now, some people might say, well, what about the tongues just being languages, other languages of the earth, tongues of men? Well, then why would we have to pray for an interpretation? Just get somebody who already knows it. But the Bible says that this tongue is not one you figure out with your mind. It's only one you interpret with your spirit. Let me go on and explain this to you. Go to verse 13 of chapter 14. It says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. How many know if you speak in Spanish, your mind is still fruitful? But how many know when you're speaking in tongues, your mind's just kind of chilling going, I don't know what's going on either, guys. How many know? They have literally put us on brain scans, and our language portion of the brain is not being used when we're speaking in tongues. It's not being used. It's not child babble. It is another part of our brain that is not related to speech and language. Look it up. Brain in tongues, brain scan. The Buddhists actually light up more of their brain in meditation. Why? Because they're thinking really hard. I'm not going to think about what I'm thinking about. I'm not going to think about what I'm thinking about. Clear mind, clear mind, clear mind, clear mind. And then the same thing with the chanting nuns, full of, a mother full of grace. Mother, and it's all up here because they put brain scans of nuns. They put brain scans on nuns. They put them on Buddhist monks, and they put them on those who speak in tongues. And ours is in a different part of the brain. It is not fruitful. We are not understanding it, nor are we trying to. So if anyone ever taught you me to say this, to speak in tongues by repeating after them, they were dumb. Don't do that. Now say this real quick. I bought a Hyundai, but I should have bought a Toyota or something, you know. I bought a Hyundai, but I should have bought a Toyota. No, I mean, it's like anybody who talks, like, okay, now take it, spirit, you know. Like, like they're running your tongue like, like a bicyclist with the spirit. Come on, spirit, take them now. Take them. Should have bought a Hyundai. Should have bought a Hundai. And then they throw you down the road. And then the spirit kicks in, and then comes up. We don't need to do any of that. When you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is all that you do. You wait upon God to give you a language that you have not learned, and then you speak it out. It may sound like a syllable. It may sound like a complete word. And sometimes those languages can have miraculous meaning to them. Sometimes I've spoken without knowing that I'm speaking in a known language, like a, a dialect from India. I have that as well as my testimonies. And, and I forgot to mention this, but I have testimonies of miracles in my life at the beginning of this notes. You can click on it, a journal that I've kept to encourage the church and another person's book as well. But look at what he says. He says, when we pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding, going, okay, Father, I ask for this in Jesus' name, right? I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, other words, in tongues, how can someone else say who's, now, uh, who's there can say amen because they won't know? They won't know what you're saying. Since they don't know what you're saying, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so let's go back to the notes. Let's scroll back up. Let's go over the gifts of the Spirit. How do they come? I believe they come by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Let's keep going up a little bit further, please. A little bit further. Oh, you passed it up. That's okay. I think it's going to be, let's see what verse it is here. Keep going. It is going to be verse 9. 
Keep going down. There we go. When we look at these gifts of the Spirit, they're not meant to be weird. They're not meant to be strange. They're meant to be things we can experience and understand. How do we enter in to the gifts of the Spirit? Somebody say baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is the evidence that you have received it? Speaking in other tongues. Now, is the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues linked to your baptism of the Holy Spirit? You betcha. Oh, what's the difference? You're just praying to give a message to somebody now that God interprets. That's the only difference. So you don't necessarily have to have a different sounding tongue when you come to church for it to be a tongue with interpretation. No, you could just be letting your tongues come to God as a praise, as a worship. And then he says, let it out to the congregation. Trust me, I got your back. So in that time that we allow for the gifts, you give out that tongue and he either gives you the interpretation or somebody else the interpretation. And that's how the gifts of the spirit are to be operated on in conjunction with the body of Christ for their benefit. Okay, number one, the gift of message, uh, the gift of the message of wisdom, rather. That's a message about the future. So when you look in the Bible, you see Agabus predicting a drought. That is a message of wisdom. You're knowing something about the future and how to go about now in the future. Think about Joseph interpreting dreams, having wisdom in Egypt to save up all of the grain. Think about Daniel. Uh, wisdom and, and, and knowledge can come together at times, the gifts here, and they can be attached to other things like dreams and visions, okay? Now, the gift of knowledge is to know something either in the present or in the past. We could say it's in the future as well, but we are trying to help distinguish it from the gift of wisdom, which we think is more future-based. But obviously, wisdom and knowledge go hand in hand. How many believe that? So just like in the natural, wisdom and knowledge go hand in hand, so do in the spiritual. A biblical example of that is when Jesus sat down with the, the woman at the well. He knew something about her that really nobody else did, how she was living. He knew then how to use that for the glory of God. The next one, the gift of faith. Now, we all know we're supposed to have faith, but how does the gift of faith differentiate when what, from what we would say is everyday faith? Well, the gift of faith is something that will come into your spirit, infusing you to do something you normally would not have come up with. Most of the time, how are we living by faith? We're reading the Bible, taking the promises of God, and we're operating on that. How many know there was no promise at that time for Peter to walk on the water? It was just, boom, let's walk on the water, Peter. How many know that's a gift of faith? The gift of faith, I believe, has more to do with spontaneity and God moving in that moment, something you wouldn't have had time to prepare for, something that wouldn't be anti-scriptural, but it may not be in black and white of scripture. Like I said, walking on the water. Where is the promise in the Bible, we'll walk on the water? There is none. But Jesus can walk on water. And if you're around Jesus walking on water, he can give you the gift of faith to walk on water with him. And so he may give you the gift of faith on your job or in your family, in different situations. The next one, the gifts of healing. Now notice in the Greek as well as in the English, it's plural. This is how I know that there's multiple kinds of sickness and brokenness in the world, but God is there to heal everyone. There's mental kind of sickness. There's a gift of healing for that. 
There's physical missing limbs or cancer in the body type sickness. God is there to heal that. How many know there's spiritual sickness? You feel depressed or you feel like just something's not right with you. So the Bible literally says plural gifts of healing. We see that Jesus healed a blind man. Let's keep going. Miraculous powers. How many believe in miraculous powers? Like the gift of faith, miraculous power, I just think, is God doing something just in the moment, spontaneous. We could see in the Old Testament, splitting of the Red Sea, the parting of the Jordan River, uh, the plagues coming, these different things. We see it in the book of Acts, a building shaking. Uh, We hear about different times when revival would come. It would look like over people's buildings, even reported in modern times, that looks like there's a fire above the building or a cloud comes into the sanctuary. These would be miraculous powers. Now, how many know all of these are from God? You don't do this yourself. The next one, prophecy. Prophecy is really just speaking what God is speaking. How many know God wrote the word, but he's still writing things on our hearts? How many know your name is not found here, but your name is in his heart? How many know your job is not here, but it's in his heart? So what is prophecy? It's not writing new scripture. It's just taking scripture and applying it to your life. Prophecy. God is telling you this. I feel God is saying this. So here's a story about Paul speaking to a jailer in his house being saved. The next one, distinguishing between spirits. This is a gift to understand when is something demonic or when is it from God? Well, you can start by asking questions. What do they believe? But maybe they're being tricky with you. Maybe they're lying to you. But something on the inside of you is saying, I don't feel right about this. That's a gift to discern what is coming from an evil spirit. We see that in the Bible when Paul rebukes a girl, even though she was proclaiming good things about them, but it was done because she was possessed of an evil spirit who wanted to mock them, and he understood the difference by the spirit. But if you were just listening, the girl was saying good things. She was following them around going, this is a a man of God. This is a man of God. But he said, leave me, Satan. Because she was trying to cause a commotion, get all the pagans to draw attention to Paul. And even though what she was saying was true, it wasn't birthed by the Spirit. So like I said, you need to have discerning, distinguishing of spirits because people can be deceptive. How many know the devil can appear as an angel of light? When Joseph Smith said he saw an angel and all these things, or the angel Gabriel supposedly appeared to Muhammad, how many know if they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they could have discerned that that was actually an evil spirit? That's why many of you don't know that Aunt Mima, she ain't visiting you. That's an evil spirit. That's not a whale, that's an evil spirit. You need to have a distinguishing gift of spirits so you can know what's coming to your room. Because that spirit knows you used to like Abuela's chorizo. She knows, that spirit knows that. And if that spirit can get you to think about grandma's chorizos and all of that, then that spirit will deceive you with other things. Then we see the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Adam and Rachel, would you come please? How many can say amen to this? Now, let's go all the way to the bottom, please. That set of scripture, go up there, please. Let's end with how to do this, okay? We're not weird. We're wired into heaven. It's natural to be supernatural. It's not illogical. We're simply following the instructions of the Bible. So let's start here. Let this place, church, Sunday, and your life groups, let these places be your time to practice, 
Because when you go out in the world, they'll be a little harsh on you if you don't get it right the first time. But here, we're patient. Here, we want you to learn to use the gifts. Even if you tried and it didn't work, that's okay. Think of it like a batting average. At least you're getting up there swinging, okay? And not every hit's a home run. I don't always get my prophecies right. I don't always see everybody healed. I don't always get to the spiritual thing right, the discerning of spirits. Sometimes I've hung around people even in this church where I thought their spirit was right, and it turned out they were doing some wacky stuff. It's okay. God is gracious to us. He's not hitting us over the head going, you should prophesy more. What's wrong with you? You should have known that. I always tell this story. This is about the, the message of knowledge, knowing something. I would, and, and God will surprise you, so get ready. So I was just out snowboarding, hanging out with the guy that we met, on the, we met each other on the hill, just started to spend time together. And as we were next to each other, going up the lift, I asked him, I said, what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I'm a janitor. And I said, cool, you know, I'm a pastor. And while we were going up, I felt the Lord give me a message of knowledge that said, he's not a janitor, he's a police officer. Use that to tell him that I love him, I'm watching over him, and that you've been sent here to encourage him, right? But I don't do any of that. I'm like, Satanas, get away from me. I'm not embarrassing myself saying something stupid like that. A lot of times we will call God Satan because we think that's Satan doing crazy stuff, but it's not. I've been there. You're like, that's just me. Shut up, you know? But I get up to the top. We go snowboarding down the hill, come back up together, and he's like, man, I feel bad I lied to you. And I'm like, what did you lie to me about? He's like, I'm not a janitor. I'm a police officer. I don't tell people because you know how we get treated in the city. I, I just didn't want to tell you. Well, I tried to at that point to go into the gospel. But it was like I was talking to a brick wall. You know, I know all that. Okay, let's just go back to snowboarding. But what would have happened if on that first time coming up, I would have said, bro, just between you and me, I'm a Christian, and I like to hear from God. I want to give this a shot. I feel like you're not a janitor. You're a police officer. Is that true? Be honest with me. Now, the worst thing he could say is, no, that's not true. You're dumb. Okay, and I've had people say that to me. Sorry, I apologize. See, I'm not like most, uh, you know, of those televangelists trying to make everything out to be God. And some of you might have been in churches where they said false prophecies and they kept going with it. We're not supposed to be like that. I missed it. I'm sorry. Okay. But what happens when we get it right and when we practice the spirit and we become natural at supernatural, we get better. It's just like anything else. We're to grow in these gifts. We are to experience them more. So I missed my opportunity. My heart for us is to use opportunities here, coming to each other in the church. Hey, I was praying for you this week. This is what I felt the Lord give me. Check it out. Talk to another leader about it. What do you think? Can I pray for you? You look sick. I believe God can give me the gift of healing to pray for you. Is that okay? Hey, we need some faith in this moment. Let's pray and ask for faith so we can get out and do this. I mean, become natural in it. And then here in the service, this is literally what the Bible says. Remember we talked about the beginning, no prayers to Mary, St. Anthony, confession booth, you know, communion over golden goblets. No, here's what is actually in the Bible. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, like how Desi sang a song up here, or a word of instruction, somebody gave that, a revelation, you know, I felt God share this with me, a tongue or interpretation, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, somebody interpret. 
Isn't that awesome? If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So she was quiet in the sense of not trying to project it to you. She was just speaking to herself and to God. If she had a tongue like she has before, she would project it to you for you to have your attention, and then she would interpret it. The Bible says two or three prophets should speak. Look at that. Most churches don't even have one prophet. <laughs> and yet the Bible says, yeah, there's so many of you here. Every time you gather together, just two or three at a service. That's enough. And yet every church that I know is like, where's the prophet? We don't even know if those exist anymore. You're supposed to have so many. You're supposed to be like going to the deli as a prophet going, okay, my number's number two today. And my number's number three. Like you're coming up to get your tag of where you are today in the service because there's supposed to be so many of us doing these things. It says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what's said. That's why we listen, elders and leaders here, we listen to what they're saying to make sure it confirms with the scripture. And if any, uh, if there's a revelation that comes to someone who's sitting down, the fierce speaker should stop. So if someone says, I got to interrupt this, I'm going to say this real quick, the one should stop. We don't do that unless there's a reason. We wouldn't want to interrupt, but in, just in case if something really important's coming out, okay. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn. Look at this. You all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. But look at verse 32, lest we all just get crazy here. It says the spirits of the prophet are subject to the control of the prophets. That means if you're the one always interrupting or you're the one running around all the time, we're going to be like, hold on, is God doing that or are you just weird? Because you're supposed to be in control here. And verse 33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So let's get this in closing. You may have come to our church at a certain time, like today as an example, or another time, and you hear all these gifts and all these things, and you go, Judge, out of order, I object. And the Holy Spirit is going, No, this is in order. I don't do that overruled. This is what I'm doing. You get it? You go to a dry church, we should be objecting over that. Where are the prophets? Where do we get to share the word? Where does the revelation come from? So many of us are used to church with the person on the stage only having the voice. And the Bible says that real church is supposed to be organic where we all have turns. Two or three at a time, hearing the words of the Lord. And that's why we do it here. And now as the altar workers come, please, they're up here to continue this. One of the great things that we got from that man that I mentioned before, John Wimber, is that since we believe in the priesthood and the prophethood of every believer, that everybody can be like a priest, like a prophet, here are people that are like you and they've been given supernatural gifts to pour out to you now. So if today you feel like you need encouragement, go to them. Today you want to hear from the Lord. You don't have to go to the psychic. Come to them. Let them pray with you. If they don't have an answer now, they'll pray with you during the week. Maybe the answer will come a different way. But they're here to be this to you. That's why we do this every week. And then those of you who are in the church, you say, I want to do this. Go through the discipleship, and you'll be a part of our prayer team, not only here, but in our life groups and when we go out. The question I want to ask you at the end of our notes here is, do you want to live naturally supernatural? So let's start at the beginning. 
The beginning is, do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? If you do, can I hear an amen? amen? Come on. That's taken care of. So that means all things that we consider supernatural should be natural to us. Number two, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God, was crucified, buried, and rose again for you? How many believe that? Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. If you don't believe that, let them start you off as a Christian today on your journey. Uh, get born again. Come to them and just say, hey, help pray with me. I want to you know, confess my sins to God, not to them, but to God. And I want to start my life off with God. Start there, okay? Most of us already believe that, okay? So now number three, we believe number one, God is the creator. Number two, we're saved, we're Christians. Now number three, do you believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with an evidence, comes with a sign, a pattern that you know you're in the power of God? Do you believe that? If you don't, then you're going to probably be stuck in a place of confusion. See, I meet a lot of charismatics who say, I believe in the gifts, I do, but I don't do this and I don't do that. I hardly ever meet that with Pentecostals or people like in this church. When people believe that they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, follow that pattern, and it's legit, you see them operating continually in the other gifts. So if I were you, I would stick with the pattern. What do you have to lose? Okay, now watch. This is for my last encouragement. If you're not baptized at the Holy Spirit, come up here and get you some. Just come up and say, I want to receive this. You go through those references I mentioned in the book of Acts. It says they laid hands on them. It's a physical sign of a connection of the Spirit. And they prayed for them to be submersed in the power of God. And don't speak in tongues because they forced you to. Don't speak in tongues because you feel like you have to. Don't feel you're not saved. Simply come up here and say, I want all the power I can have. I want to be tapped into heaven. And then listen to the sounds of heaven and utter them as they come. And those of you who receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, do what I have done and Paul has done and all these apostles. Pray in tongues continually. Pray between you and God. And if you're ever in a service, pray it out and let someone interpret if that's what's supposed to be there. And get ready for those other gifts to show up. Amen? How many are ready to be naturally supernatural? Let's stand up. Give it up for Jesus. God bless you. We're going to pray in closing. This is how we're going to dismiss today. Thank you so much for coming. When I say amen and you're dismissed after this prayer, those who got to go, go. Do your thing. We love you. We'll see you at Life Groups. But those who want to get into this, come up to these altars. Whether to be saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, or you just want more of those gifts in your life. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you today for this great service to learn about your supernatural power. Use us to change the world for you. May you fill all of us with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Bless the Lord one more time. God bless you. You are dismissed. Band, let's worship. Those who want prayer, come on up. Let's get some of that fuego. Fuego de Dios en esta casa. Ahora en el nombre Jesucristo. Fire up.